That's the root of these next two Sunday mornings, taking possession of what God provides. The text is, for starters, is going to be Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. There are, of course, two J's that biblical history has forever tied together. When you think of Joshua, you think of, yeah, Jericho. Joshua and Jericho. Chapter 6 of the book of Joshua is the famous chapter, the Battle of Jericho, and it really forms a, a turning point in the whole book. It's, it's the beginning of the actual uh, conquest of the enemies that are still in the Promised Land. The first five chapters of Joshua are really preparatory, getting Joshua ready, getting the people ready, some lessons they need to know. Chapter 6 is where they actually go in and start conquering the land. And so it's actually a great chapter when you start thinking of beginnings, starting points, taking hold of what God has graciously promised and given entry to. They're in the promised land, but they have to take the promised land. Here's the important point this morning. Let me give you the sermon in a nutshell. Success for these people, as they start out in chapter 6 with Jericho in front of them, success for these people wouldn't come the way they expected it to come. So what God provides is not going to be established on their own terms, and they're going to have to learn that right away. They're expecting a military victory over Jericho. They're expecting the kind of victory they have won in battles throughout their history. And strangely, it's going to turn out to be something other than a military victory. They will march around the walls of Jericho once each day for six days. Seven times on the seventh. That's 13 times around the walls. They'll blow ram's horns. They will shout. The walls will come falling down. Or to quote, the only Elvis Presley record my parents ever allowed in our house, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls come a-tumbling down. It took me years to get my head around that. Michael and Daisy Horbin closet Elvis Presley fans. I still haven't fully come to terms with it. But if the military exercise is going to be slight, the lessons are weighty, and I think really strikingly relevant as we collectively are going to be bumping into the walls of a new year that might not just fall into your hands easily or lightly. That's what we're studying. Point number one. Always act on God's word 
as though it were more certain than anything else. Always act on God's word as though it were more certain than anything else. And everybody says, amen, that's what we do, we're Christians. It's, it's hard to do that. Joshua 6, 1 to 5. Now Jericho is shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, none came in. They're all around the city. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city. All the men, these are men of war. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. I didn't say turn cell phones off, did I? I'm sorry. Turn your cell phone off. Four. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. The priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout. The wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. It's almost too bad that we know this story so well. Because, because the setup for this account ought to just strike us as strange. If we hadn't known the story before. What, what looks like the, the easiest battle in history was mentally probably one of the toughest for a military leader to commit to. I mean, there is nothing reasonable in the account. Nothing in the promise or the instructions fits Joshua's expectations. Everything feels counterintuitive. I think we can all agree to that. Just march around and shout. Go 13 times first, and then shout. And I wish I could have been there. You just, you just have to picture Joshua as he gives these battle instructions. The Lord speaks to him. He has to go to his army, to his leaders on this military campaign. And in, in his very first venture, this is his first military venture, replacing Moses as leader. He's truly forced to put his trust in God on the line. And the soldiers are really forced to trust Joshua, their newly minted leader. Would a group of soldiers, a group of military men, just be willing to totally acquiesce to what had to appear to them as just totally foolish, time-wasting instructions? Regardless of how they were nodding and saying, yes, sir, what do you think their, their first inward thoughts were? What were they whispering that night about Joshua, new leader? Here's, okay, this is the plan. Really? Would they follow in obedience even when they saw nothing but potential disappointment in the act itself? Here's how I think this cuts to the bone real close to home for all of us this morning. How would they respond when what God was commanding them to do didn't seem to be at all related to the problem at hand? 
And would they continue to trust and obey for the whole seven days, the whole 13 journeys? I mean, after all, why, why if this is God, if it's supernatural, why, why don't the walls come down right away? I mean, for six days, the only thing that stirs is the dust under their feet. And, and here's, here's what I see being played out in that great account. I hope I can make it uh, seem important to you. Every time, as you enter this year, every time God comes and offers promise and hope and instruction into a really difficult, hopeless-looking situation, his promises, at first glance, always look small and impotent against the visible, material reality of what you're up against. At the beginning, circumstances always look bigger than the promise into which you are called to place your trust. At the beginning. Circumstances always look bigger, the walls always look thicker and firmer than the promise God is asking you to place your trust in. Circumstances at the beginning make most of the promises we read and sing about look irrelevant, almost ridiculous. This account is in God's word to remind me and to remind you that at the beginning, such is always the case. And it's intentional. Imagine these walls. These walls are thick enough, we'll read later on in the book, these walls are thick enough to actually contain the entire home of a woman, Rahab, and her family. They live in these walls. So don't get the picture of some rusty barrier on the border of Mexico. Massive walls with, with residences inside of them. And then the instructions come. Okay, get this. Well, just, just march around them quietly for a few days and, and then, then do it again repeatedly. Do the very same thing you've always been doing with no result whatsoever. Just do that again. Right? The, the stuff that didn't work the first four days, yeah, do that again. And then do it again. And then do it seven more times. Yeah, then what? Well, that's it. That's it. Oh, yeah, and then blow some, take these ram horns, blow them and shout and... That's it. It'll work. No, it won't. That can't work. Everybody knows that can't work. I mean, you and I just can't imagine how ridiculous those instructions must have looked to trained soldiers. It's more than just a cute Sunday school story. It, it gets replayed in our own lives, in dozens of situations every week. I am just repeatedly called into a very humbling learning curve 
The issue is learning that God commands nothing in vain. That every command from God comes with your ultimate freedom in mind, even if you don't see it yet. But those commands don't appear to carry that much power, and they don't appear to carry our freedom in it. Not at the beginning. They appear many times to be powerless and irrelevant. We don't always see the connection between God's word and our own deliverance. We know it. Like, we agree. Our biggest battle isn't Jericho. It's to learn to trust implicitly in God's promise when his promise seems smaller than your problem. When his promise seems smaller than your problem. I chose that title, I think, carefully. Lots of situations look impossible, like a stone wall. Lots of times we don't see how doing what the Bible says is going to actually change anything. And, and God deliberately teaches these people to keep marching when it doesn't look like his plan is working. Listen, what else is the reason? The reason for those first six trips around the wall. Why would God do that? Let's put it to a vote. How many think God was mighty enough that he could have had the walls come down the very first day? Let's see your hand. Okay, it's carried. He could have done that. So what's with this? Why those first six trips? Thirteen, actually. God deliberately teaches these people. Hear this. God deliberately teaches these people to keep marching and trusting when it doesn't look like anything much is happening. And he couldn't have taught that if the walls came down the very first day. That's the point of those first six days. What do you do when it doesn't look like God is doing anything? What do you do when it doesn't look like God is doing anything? There's a a tension. It's a good tension. It's a healthy one. It comes in church services like this. There's a tension between good worship, which is, which is the bread and butter of good worship, is that it's, it's, it's kind of majestic and triumphal. You, you sing, uh, Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, most high. The angels roar for Christ is king. That's a great lyric. I love it. The bread and butter of the worship industry is to have us come in with tunes and words that make us feel, oh, man, God is great. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's the, here's the sweet and sour. Is you, you, you live a lot of your life without a praise band. You hearing me? You live a lot of your life bumping into big stone walls and you wonder why they don't come down if God is so great and wonderful and majestic all the time. What's going on those first six days? What's happening? 
What do you do when it doesn't look like God is doing anything? What are you going to do when this happens to you in 2020? What are you going to do when, when his promises and his plans seem like so much dry dust under your feet? That's the issue of those first six days of marching. God, God would, I think, press home a strong point here to all of our hearts. There were more days when it looked like God wasn't working than days when it looked like he was. Add them up. Six and one, right? There were more days when it didn't look like God was working than days when he looked like he was working. He was there working all the time. Both those seasons serve a divine purpose in our lives and in the plan of God. I can tell you, gee, 38 years here at Cedarview. And I can tell you from years of dealing with people and their battles and their sins, that the Joshua plan for manifesting God's hand is easily forgotten. I started just to string together situations. These are just illustrations. It's not what I'm preaching about. These are illustrations of what I'm talking about. A woman will come. My husband doesn't... I don't think my husband loves me anymore. He's getting, he's getting crude, spiritually dull. He's ungodly and dense. I'm tired of the way he ignores the family. He doesn't even like it much when I go to church. What should I do? There's a, there's a, a stone wall. What should I do? And so you do you do what you do what, what preachers do, and you say, Well, let's let's look at God's word, and you take out first Peter three, one to five. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, the putting on of clothing. But let your adorning be the hidden, the hidden person of the heart, with an imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight very precious. For this is how... The holy woman who, who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. I mean, let's face it. Christians almost feel embarrassed reading those words in today's culture. Counselors usually ignore them. And, and here's why. It's because when you, when you have someone with, a, with a, a, a stone wall in their marriage like that, those words just look small. They look small compared to the hurt, the damage in the situation. They're considered irrelevant, light, culturally out of date, sexist at the worst. Just so much religious mumbo-jumbo, preacher talk, church talk. So when it's like, yeah, just march around that wall and then shout and, and it'll come down. I'm sure there are women here today, right now, and those words from Peter feel like so much gravel because you've tried to do that for years and nothing's changed, at least not yet. 
and it hadn't for those women either. We, we know that because Peter keeps telling them of how women hoped. They hoped in God. And the Apostle Paul reminds us, you don't hope for what you see, you hope for what you don't see yet. And, and the words just feel like, you know, that's, that's not big enough to deal with this situation. Pastor Don, I know I should tithe and, and, and give to the Lord's work, but I can't pay all my bills right now. What's, you know, what's my family supposed to do? And she'd take them to different verses in the Bible. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. And, and all, all the time preachers preach verses like that, Old Testament and New there arises that little small voice in the corner of your cranium, and it just says, I, Pastor Don, that's, that's great, you know, it's great sermon stuff. It's not paying my hydro bill. Those verses won't pay my bills. Those promises don't feel as big as my situation. And that's why God demands hope for something they don't see yet. Put me to the test. Try this. Here's another situation. Pastor Don, I've tried to forsake that one sin so many times. I'm a loser. I can't even count the attempts anymore. Nothing seems to work. And I don't think I'll ever experience the kind of life that others seem to find. I can't keep going on and no one would blame me just for giving up. And you open up a promise. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Like a couple dozens of examples. I gave you just three. Three examples of where there's a stone wall and a promise, and the promise does not look anywhere near big enough for that. None of those promises or dozens of others None of them look like they can work. These are walls, solid stone barriers. They're immovable, and they make the bare command and promise of God look ridiculous. And that's what this Jericho account is really all about. If any of us, if a person tries to just fire a promise at a problem only to pack the march in, after two or three trips around the walls, she will give up. True, praise God for stories like David and Goliath. How many shots did it take to kill Goliath? Now that's the way I like to see God work. Right? That's the way I like to see. He takes these, how many stones did he take? How many did he use? There. Praise God. Hallelujah. Far more often, far more often, walls come down the way Jericho does rather than the way Goliath falls. Understand this. It's, it's what you do at that point 
that is the measure of your commitment to Jesus. When you don't see what you want to see yet. And it's what you do at that point that will determine your future forever. Which, which way do you choose when nothing seems to be happening? Stop marching and the walls of your circumstances will forever shut you out from God's appointed promised future. You have a, you have a, a tough choice staring you in the face. See it in that 11th verse. And so he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And then they came into camp and spent the night in the camp. Wouldn't you just love to have gone from tent to tent to tent and seen them all sitting around their hibachis, cooking hamburgers, bunking, after the, first, after the first day, what floats through your head when you've done what God told you to do and you go to bed at night with nothing any different than when you started out in the morning? What do you do? It's important to plan for these times because there's going to be many such nights in 2020 and there's no pillow talk that's more important than this one. There's one more less known event and lesson in the story of, of Joshua. There's only two points here, and this is the second, so we're, we're doing well. Point number two. If the march of faith seems hard, the cost of unbelief is harder. There's a dramatic part of this Jericho story that isn't as well known as the tumbling down of the walls... And it's a little bit discomforting. God seems very harsh in his treatment of the city after the walls fell. And, and it's important to know why. Look at Joshua 6, 24 to 27. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold, the vessels of bronze and of iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. Remember the spies and how she protected them and they made that deal? And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord, cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up the gates. That's something, eh? And so the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in, was in all the land. Not only did the walls come down, they were never to be rebuilt. Not ever. God pronounced this curse on anyone who took it upon himself or herself to reconstruct the walls of the city of Jericho. And you can read, in fact, about a man who tried to rebuild the walls of Jericho in the same location. 
And his story is found in 1 Kings 16.34. This is long after. 1 Kings 16.34. In the days of Hiel of Bethel, in his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abraham, his firstborn, and set up the gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Joshua, son of Nun. What's that all about? What's going on? Is, like, is God just having a bad day? No. Behold one of the little verses of almost unknown Bible trivia. The Holy Spirit plants this one obscure verse to, to immunize the careful reader against ever taking God's word lightly. But why not rebuild the city? Ruins look ugly in their new land. Imagine as the Israelites gradually drive out the enemies, they build their own fortified cities, they plant fields, they make their new homes prosperous and beautiful, and then, and then there's that goofy pile of rubble. Next door, talk about property values going down. That mountain of ruins over there by the road, what is that all about? Actually, the city was resettled quite soon after its destruction. You can read about that. No curse came into effect. But in the days of Ahab, a man named Hiel built the walls, the foundations, the walls around the city. And his firstborn died as God had said. See, God didn't level the city of Jericho. The Israelites did that. It was the walls of the city that God leveled. And it was the walls, the leveling of the walls. That was the issue of faith and obedience for the army. It was in the divine leveling of the walls of the city that their trust was tested. Their obedience was manifested. Do you see it? The walls were the symbol of the results of trust in the promise of God in the face of something impossible. The walls were a symbol of trust in the promise of God in the face of something impossible. And the Israelites and we will face situations like that over and over again. And that means what we really need is an ongoing reminder of who our unchanging God is and what our unchanging God does. We need the reminder. Leave the broken walls there. Don't ever forget that after 13 times doing what I said, the walls came down. It didn't look like they could. It didn't look like they would. But they did. Leave the walls there. You'll need that lesson. You'll need that lesson. That's why Hiel was judged. He rebuilt the walls God had leveled. This was a man undoing 
the work of God. A man taking the promise of God and working it in reverse. That's the whole issue of that curse. We build our own systems of defense. We secure our lives in our own ways. We instinctively try so hard to cover our bases. And that fallen pile of rubble is the reminder. It was the proof that God's ways are always best. And it's important that those stones be left in that fallen state because all the walls we face look like they can't possibly come down with just a promise from God, right? I mean, that can't work. Remember those verses I read for those situations? No, those, that can't work. The lesson isn't easily learned. We never, we never completely get it into our souls. It evaporates fast. And so God wants something, something like the ruins of the walls, just to be a permanent reminder to all of us. Those ruined walls were God's memorial, a permanent marker, just sort of shouting, once you've set yourself to walk in my ways, once you've cleansed the idols of self will and the world's ways out of your life. Don't ever allow yourself to fall back into those things again. Leave the ways of self-trust in ruins. And never forget the unbounded power of my promise even when it didn't look like it at first. It's a pretty good story after all. Joshua fit the battle Jericho. And the walls, say it with me, come a tumbling down. Yeah. But it might take 13 times with absolutely nothing. More days where it didn't look like God was doing anything than days when it looked like he was doing something. Let's pray.